Hello, dear pastor's wife. My name is Maureen Oshimakide, and some people also call me Pimo. And this is Diary of a Pastor's Wife. I know today is Valentine's Day, but sorry to bust your bubbles. I'm not here to talk about Mr. Valentine. I'm here this morning to encourage someone and to talk on issues that are heavy on my heart so please join me don't be too disappointed and um, let's have this conversation today i started a conversation last week uh, addressing young women who started out their relationship with their husbands um, not being a pastor but along the line their husband got roped into the pastoral office and I know that a number of ladies have been disappointed as a result of that and some also have felt robbed and um, I'm reaching out to, to you this morning I know those of you like myself anyway who already knew that our husbands were going to be pastors or probably at the point of even dating they were already pastors or probably you desired it there are some people who desire it and it's okay for someone like me funny enough uh, when I got born again and I started to grow in Christ and I started having uh, some bit of understanding as regards my assignment and my calling as a then, I'm talking about over 25 years ago, I believed in my heart that the only person that had the capacity to manage what I carried had to be a pastor. That was my thinking then. Of course, today, the person doesn't have to be in a pastoral office because there are so many people sons of God who are exhibiting their father's um, uniqueness in other areas and we have puppets in the marketplaces so things have long changed but then my little brain you know could only capture the fact that whoever would be able to manage I mean will be able to embrace the totality of me <laughs> had to be a pastor majorly because of you know God's assignment that I had sent over my life so I salute those of us who knew and it wasn't a struggle but I'm also sending hugs to those who married their husbands are just Jesus boys there was nothing pastor spoken about in the conversation but here you are today the young man is a pastor possibly has even started ministry <laughs> and you're asking yourself how on earth did we get here and then the third category like myself again oh yes you married him as a pastor but you did not know that different sites will begin to show up you had no idea 
that at some point you begin to graduate from being a pastor you now begin to sense apostolic calling you begin to sense is an evangelist you begin to sense he's not just a local pastor in one place he's an itinerant pastor i'm sending you hugs as well you know one of the things i want to try and achieve with today's podcast is to address um, something that we might have overlooked or casualized but it's very important in us being able to enjoy all that God has for us um, here on this side of the divide. I want to start by saying that regardless of the role or the office as long as that role or office is under God and is serving the purpose of Christ, it is a unique privilege that should never be underestimated, that should never be treated as a plague. It is a blessing. It is a huge opportunity, a privilege that God would consider you worthy to either support someone on this journey of serving his purpose and in the process you find that you are serving the purpose of God. The mistake that a lot of people have made over the years is to think that the pastor is the one serving the purpose of God. No. Both the pastor and the pastor's wife are both serving the purpose of God. Your marriage is serving the purpose of God. Everyone who is a believer is on earth to serve the purpose of God. One of the things that have stood in our way is what I have classified as strongholds. I mean, cultural strongholds, religious strongholds, environmental strongholds. I call them strongholds because these things have formed a certain mindset. And it's over time that we've come to believe that lie. That once someone says, I'm a pastor, the first thought that comes to the mind are negative thoughts. No, we need to break that. We need to pull down that stronghold. That today, young ladies are categorically saying it outrightly. I cannot marry a pastor. No. And if we dig deep, we begin to find out that their reason for such decisions is based on things that have happened, other people's experiences, the general notion, the the social media uh, description, and what they've come to believe, which is a lie. And so my job in the next few weeks is to pull down these strongholds, is to uh, disabuse this mindset this cancerous mindset that is spreading so fast and to help women embrace 
this blessedness of being a pastor's wife. In fact, my prayer, my desire is that we would have more people desiring to be married to a pastor than those who are outrightly saying, no, they cannot. I mean, what is it that we are afraid of? What exactly is it that we feel we will be robbed of when you're married to a pastor? I think one that tops the chart is the fact that you lose yourself. You lose your identity. That is a cultural and religious stronghold. It's a lie from the pit of hell. I mean, why would you think so? If you had a life with your husband or before you even met your husband. And so if we go to the root of that, my question will be back to that pastor's wife. Who are you? Did you have an identity in God? Did you know that you have a purpose and an assignment in God? And your purpose and your assignment is not excluded in supporting your husband in carrying out this purpose. In fact, your purpose, your assignment is brought to limelight, is empowered. Your purpose, your assignment is given latitude, platform for greater expression because the two will always be better than one. I need to say that again. The two will always be better than one. So you are not being robbed and you are not being put in a situation where you lose yourself. It's what we've been made to believe. And unfortunately, those who have made us to believe that came to this position on the wrong side, seeing things from the wrong perspective. We need to begin to see things from the perspective of Christ. I mean, as blessed as Abraham was, as powerful, he was a man of faith. God spoke to him. Sarah wasn't there. He said, come out of your father's house, of your kindred, of your everything, to a land that I will show you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you. He said that to Abraham. He said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. He said, lift up your eyes. You're going to father nations. You, you, The number of children you will have will be like the stars. You won't be able to count them. But did you realize that he also took Sarah, activating her own faith, standing in her own position as a daughter of God, as a woman under God, to have ensured that that blessing that word spoken to Abraham came to pass. I mean, you read it in Genesis, you would have thought Sarah didn't have faith. Of course, we know the story. She brought Hagar into the picture. I would have thought Sarah didn't have faith and that it was just Abraham. No. Abraham had the seed but God needed the womb of Sarah. And God needed Sarah come to that place of belief. We were told in Hebrews chapter 11 that Sarah herself received faith to conceive seed. So Sarah herself needed to 
um, execute a measure of faith outside of Abraham for the promise to come to pass. And we find Peter using Sarah in admonishing women and wives as a role model. So Sarah had her own role. In fact, when God visited Abraham, after he had eaten and was satisfied, he said, where is your wife, Sarah? If God could do it without Sarah, he would have gone ahead and done it. He could, but he needed Sarah's coming, Sarah coming on board. That's to show you the power of partnership on this business. In this business, I beg your pardon, on this journey. God looked at Sarah and said, you would embrace the son. She laughed. He said, no, Sarah, don't laugh. <laughs> he said, you will have a son. Don't deny it. You laughed because that child is going to be named laughter. And of course, when the whole miracle happened, we saw the testimony of Sarah. We saw the testimony of Elizabeth and Zachariah. We saw the synergy. We saw the coming together in fulfilling God's assignment. It is such a blessedness. It would, your coming into that role would boost your faith, would bring out the character of God in you, would strengthen you. I mean, it's one of the best platforms for you to, to grow as a Christian. Remember, being a pastor, the role is not the issue because every pastor's wife, every believer is falsely a Christian. And whatever role, assignment God gives you is meant to enhance your being a Christian. That is the major assignment over our lives. That whatever role God puts us in, whatever assignment God gives to us, the end point, the end result is that we become more like Christ. I will be back again next week. And I would expand on this the more, touching on the cultural ideologies, uh, strongholds, sorry, the, the, the religious strongholds, the environmental strongholds that have stood in the way and hindered us from fully expressing, embracing, oh, this blessedness of being a pastor's wife. I hope I've been able to convince you a bit, <laughs> if not much, but just follow me on this podcast and I believe that you will be truly truly blessed thank you for joining me today um till i come your way again next week i love you and i stay committed to you fulfilling purpose and finding joy while at it god bless you and have a blessed week thank you hello everyone um this is pimo and this is Pimo's Secrets. Something really was impressed in my heart. And I just feel putting up a post would not do justice to it. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. I'm hoping that whoever listens to this uh, would be instructed by the Holy Spirit. And it would minister to you. And it would um, shed light on your path as you go in Jesus' name. Uh, something stood out for me from the service we had yesterday with Pastor Dele 
Osumak in the ministry. And we were talking a lot about uh, Samuel and how Samuel came to the scene. So we went, you know, uh, took a dive into the story of Hannah, of course, for Samuel and the whole journey from her being childless and how she came about Hannah. But something really struck me and um, reading some posts, some comments and some conversations I've had today with some sisters, I, I feel this burden in my heart to sort of um, just share my own thoughts uh, from what I gleaned uh, from yesterday's message on the issue of offense. I know that there are so many offended people in church. Some have left church. Some have vowed never to attend church. Uh, some are just in between. Some are just following the motion. So many people are offended, offended by leadership, offended by members, offended by the system, offended by so many things. And as much as my heart really goes out to as many as feel offended, and I am not in any way uh, watering down your emotions or why you feel offended sometimes maybe even most times the offense or the feeling is legit uh you were truly you know spoken to in a rude way you were treated harshly or treated badly you were um addressed in the wrong way some people have misused uh leadership some have abused access and yes i get that but I just want to point out something because the issue of offense has stood in the way for so many people and has stood as a blockage. And the truth is we really have to move past staying offended. My husband says something. He says you cannot be anointed and offended at the same time. The two don't work together. You can't be offended and anointed. And I think someone that really demonstrated that in the scriptures is David. I mean, David was someone who could actually validate staying offended. Because here he was, you know, being by himself in his house, tending to his father's sheep. And, you know, Samuel came and poured oil on him, he did not ask for it. And then before you knew it, his brothers didn't like him. Before you knew it, he was appointed to go serve in a palace where he had been anointed to be king. And even though he was still doing his work dutifully, the king was jealous, was angry. Thank God, I believe, David understood that what Saul was reacting to was beyond Saul because the Bible had told us an evil spirit from the Lord had come upon Saul. He tried, imagine someone throwing javelins at you at different times and yet you go back again and resume to that post the next day. Even up until when David left, ran away and was a fugitive, 
over something he, he had no control over. He, he didn't cause it. He never for once used his mouth to, to, to say anything terrible about Saul or about his kingship because he was still going to come and occupy that office. Even in his death, in, at Saul's death, David wrote a psalm. So what I learned from yesterday's service, Hannah was in anguish of soul. They had come to Shiloh, as is their custom. But this particular time, I think it hit hard, and she went to pray. And in the, you know, in the state of her heart, she poured out her heart to God. But by, by divine revelation, she caught it in her heart that she was meant to make a vow, which was the answer to her long-standing prayer. That was what God was waiting for her to pick in the spirit. And the moment she picked it, she said, I will make a vow. I would vow him to you. If you give me this son, I will vow him to you. That was stage one. Now the Bible says she continued to pray. Words were not heard, but her mouth was moving. And Eli, <laughs> whose eyes was already growing dim, who already had issues with his own son, he couldn't even manage the assignment God had given him. So we're talking about Eli, a priest, who already had his issues and his problems. I mean, his sons were sleeping with the women walking in the temple. He couldn't call them to order. I mean, his priesthood was already shaky. Looked at Hannah. And said to her, you this woman, you are drunk. Why would you come to the temple drunk and be praying? He didn't address his own sons. But he's addressing a woman that was in pain and in bitterness of soul. Hmm, that was a test for Hannah. Hannah could have been offended. Hannah could have said, how dare you? Hannah could have said, look at your own children. Can't you see them? Hannah could have reacted, abused him. And in some quarters, it would have been legit. Some people on social media would have applauded her. They would have said, Eli, forget him. That guy, in fact, would even know what he's doing. His children are doing this. Can't even control his own house. People would have applauded her and made it seem like she was on the right track. But I thank God for Hannah's heart. The Bible says, Anna responded, even said, my Lord. He said, Anna answered and said, no, my Lord. <laughs> I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. And I've just come to pour my heart to God. I know you don't know Eli. And you probably just jumped to conclusions. We just assumed. Rather than Hannah being offended, she addressed the issue from a place of understanding. Ah, may the Lord grant us wisdom. May the Lord help us. May the Lord help us. Even though Eli was a leader, it was obvious at that point, he was devoid of certain understanding and knowledge. But Hannah understood better. She didn't disrespect him. She still said, no, my Lord. And you now know what happened. Remember, Hannah had prayed and said, Lord, I will vow him to you. That was her prayer. But you know what Eli did? Despite his imperfection, despite the fact that his priesthood was shaky, despite the fact that Eli had his own issues, 
Eli said, Go in peace. And the Lord of Israel grant your petition. Eli stood in the position of the prophetic to seal Hannah's prayer. Now, there was something that happened between when Hannah prayed and when Eli prayed that could have interrupted the fulfillment of that prayer. It was a test. Oh, my heart really goes out to people who have been offended by church, especially by leadership. There's no excuse for it. But I beg you and I plead with you, don't let that stand in your way of accessing, of receiving those things that God has for you. No matter how much we speak against the church, I will still stand with what Jesus said. He said, I, Jesus, will build my church. It is Jesus' church, it's not any pastor's church. So if you are serving in a church, in an assembly, you are not serving the pastor. Even if that is how it's been made, uh, that's how it's been portrayed. No. Understand that your service is to God. Understand that you will give account to God. Understand that these men that are placed in position of authority, men and women, are still men and women at the end of the day. God is the ultimate. He's the one that justifies. He's the one that judges. He's the one that gives the verdict. Do not allow somebody's imperfection, somebody's mistake, somebody's lack of leadership, strength, and skill stand in your way of accessing, receiving all that the Lord has for you. The Bible says after that declaration from Eli, Hannah went her way. And she was no longer sad. Her countenance was no longer dead down. She understood that there's a fulfillment of those things. That prayer came from a man that had imperfections. It didn't come from a perfect priest. And Samuel was produced under that same system. But for Eli in Samuel's life, he wouldn't even have understood how to hear God. I plead with us. I plead with us. Don't leave church because one member said something. One pastor's wife said something. One pastor treated you badly. Do not accept there's an express instruction. But even when you do, find where God wants you to be. Don't stay aloof. Don't say I'm done with church. No, you cannot be done with church. Because the church is still the system that God has put in place to provide, to meet our needs, to structure our pathway to destiny. Trust me, it's bigger than these things we're seeing. It's larger than these offenses that we are feeling. We need to deal with offenses. We cannot allow offense to thrive. It's a, it's a stealer of purpose. The devil is sowing that seed. And while we deal with offenses, I trust God for grace also to raise credible leadership that will raise credible membership even within the church. The church is for Jesus. He says, my church. And he's the one that does the building. My prayer is that the Lord will raise men and women after his heart who will do his will and his bidding with respect to the assignment given to them within the church. And that for everyone God has given to us, 
to pastor, to lead, that they would come into the fulfillment of their God-given assignment. He said he has put in the church pastors, apostles, evangelists, teachers for the equipping of the saints. That is the role. The church has a major role to equip us for our purpose and our destiny. So I plead with you, make amends, find that place, let the Holy Spirit heal your heart of whatever hurt anyone has caused you. Reconcile. If there are people you can reach out to and, and let them know, if there are people that you can call on the phone and let them know, oh, you hurt me, release them from your heart so you can find peace and you can thrive and flourish. This is a major thing we need to address within the body of Christ. And I pray the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. I hope this has been worth your 14 minutes or 15 minutes. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to share. And I pray the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Thank you and God bless you.